I did ask the kids to stay in the service um, this morning. Um, the topic that I've been asked to preach about revol- revolves around uh, the book of Genesis, and it revolves around Noah and the ark. Um, I was asked to cover such questions. For those of you who might be visiting with us this morning, um, we welcome you. There uh, should be a visitor card in front of you if you just want to take some time and fill that out. Drop it off at the, uh, the uh, station in the back uh, where the drinks are, and we'll be glad to uh, take that. And uh, just our way of staying in touch with you. And, so, um, and I think we have a little gift for you as well. But we have been in a series for the last couple of weeks called What's on Your Mind? And where we asked uh, uh, those of you in the congregation, is there a topic that you would like preached on? And so I received a number of topics, and this was one that I received. And um, some of the questions that I was given on this uh, were things like this. How did the animals even get on the ark? And how did they appear in the continents across the ocean? I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that could be one that could stomp, stomp, stump you um, if you think about that. Once they got off the boat, how did they get from continent to continent? What's the story behind dinosaurs and were dinosaurs on the ark? And um, is there some spiritual lessons that we can learn from all of this? How many of you have visited... Um, the Ken Ham Answers in Genesis down in Cincinnati. Let me see you raise your hands. Okay, not, not many of you. Um, Creation Museum, thank you. I uh, had that wrong. Um, just an incredible place to go to. Man, that would be a great place for kids or um, just adults to go visit. It is, it is amazing. They are actually in the process now of building an actual life-size ark. Um, and it's just uh, going to be, I think it's just a little bit off-site of, of, the, of the where the museum is, but just an incredible place. If you've not been there, that's a place you need to think about. Um, actually, Ken Hams, he has a website called Answers in Genesis, so you can get a lot of information on the creation story of this, creation side of this, if you go to Answers in Genesis. But based on the questions that have been given me on this topic, I'm titling this topic, Questions in Genesis. Questions in Genesis. I'm just going to tell you up front, this is going to be a different kind of a message. Um, at times you may think that you're in a Christian biology class or Christian science class, I don't know, but um, I enjoyed researching some of the things with this topic. Um, actually, I have spoken before on things like this, Christian apologetics. This falls into the Christian apologetics uh, frame of of, uh, thinking here. Christian apologetics is defending your faith. Apologia is the Latin word that stands for to defend. So we are defending our faith somewhat this morning. We've spoken before about uh, uh, biblical prophecies and biblical archaeology and things like that, that in an attempt to bolster our faith. And today will be similar to that. So just kind of hang in there with a different kind of a topic here. Um, If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And we will read from that this morning. It will be on the screen, but many of you like to follow 
as well. Genesis chapter 6, starting with verse 14. God told Noah, quote, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Verse 21, And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. I don't think we can comprehend the magnitude of building something like this, the size of this vessel, some 4,500, 5,000 years ago. It just, I think we can't comprehend that. Not until the late 1800s, the late 1800s, was a ship built that exceeded the capacity of Noah's Ark. Just think about that for uh, a few seconds. That set the standard with size for some 4,000 years until the late 1800s when they began to build boats of that size or exceeding that size. It was the largest wooden vessel that was able to be made. Uh, you heard the cubits. Um, I believe the, the uh, word cubit basically stands with your average male. Take your middle finger and to your elbow, and that's a cubit. If you ever wanted to know how long is a cubit, it's about from your fingertip there to your elbow, about 18 inches. So based on uh, those dimensions, we know that the ark was 450 feet long. That is one and a half football fields. Just think about that. One and a half football fields was the length of this ark. It was 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Now, the age-old question is, how did the animals get on the ark? How did they actually get on the ark? Uh, those of you who work the nursery, you may remember this, but um, I don't know, this is in the nursery, and this is... Um, um, maybe what many of you grew up visualizing and how it took place. We don't know exactly how it took place, but 
I took this off the wall and just to be just to be a good visual for you this morning. Um, two by two, they came. Um, we all have mental pictures in our mind of what that event may have looked like. I also have that in my mind. I remember that that vision uh, growing up as a kid, as Moses or Noah is standing there and just watching the animals go by two at a time. First off, let me tell you that Noah did not have to go out and lasso every single animal that was out there. Okay, that's not the way that it worked. God did it for them. Does that sound far-fetched to you? Well, it might, but I want you to consider something, and I really kind of got excited when I started to research this. Consider a few things. How did the animals get on the boat? It's an amazing yet well-known fact that many animals display today a natural migratory behavior. Okay? Many of them have what seems to be an internal homing device that tells them where to go and when to go and how to go. Consider the annual travels of the monarch butterfly. The annual travels of the whales and of, of various fish. Um, how do the bears know to go hibernate? There's just an internal homing device, an instinct that they know. Consider this. Every fall, baseball comes to an end and school begins. And the Canadian geese takes its annual track down south. Their autumn voyage takes place annually anywhere, everywhere, anywhere from September to November. Now listen to some of these things. We all have seen that V formation, haven't we? We've seen the V formation up in the sky in the autumn, and you wonder what kind of bird that is and why they go in V formation. Listen to this. That V formation is unmistakable, but there is a purpose behind that V formation as well. By flying in a V-shaped formation, they reduce the wind drag and use 50 to 75% less energy. The front position of the V consumes much more energy, as you would imagine. So you know what they do? They automatically take turns driving. Who's going to drive? Well, it's my, it's my turn. You're tired, I'll, I'll give you a break. That just automatically happens. They can fly up to 16 hours a day. Go as fast as 60 miles an hour. They can go as high as 8,000 feet. They can travel as much. Now listen to this. They can travel as much as 650 miles in one day. That's like traveling from Sugar Creek, Ohio to Myrtle Beach without any pit stops along the way. And they follow the same path every year for their entire lives with traditional stopping places along the way. Now I ask, or you ask, how is that possible? There has to be a divine creator behind it all. Our God, our God is the one who put all of this in place. And if every autumn our God can tell these Canadian geese when to fly, where to fly, how to fly, how fast to fly, how high to fly, and how far to fly, then he would have no problem putting it in the heart of some animals to walk into a boat.
Right? No problem. This was a divine moment. This was something that God set in place. And let that be a lesson to you and I. When God tells us to do something and it seems to be impossible, all we have to do is obey. All we have to do is obey and let God take care of the details. Let that be a lesson to Brock and not just you. Let that be a lesson to us all. At the time that the animals boarded the ark, realized that the earth and the map and the continents look nothing like they do today. Based on Genesis 1, you can go back and read it sometime. Based on Genesis 1, there very well could have been just one main continent. Okay? Thus making it much easier and much feasible for all the animals to come. Creation researcher John Wood Morape suggests that at the most, 16,000 animals, there's another picture that many of you are probably used to seeing as a kid growing up. He suggests that 16,000 animals at the most were all that was needed to preserve what God brought into the ark. Now that sounds like a lot of animals. But the ark did not need to carry every single animal. Only air-breathing, land-dwelling, creeping things and winged animals. Those aquatic animals were not on the ark. That distinction greatly cuts down, greatly reduces the number of animals that went into the boat. He also purports that less than half of the space on the ark would have been needed to house the animals. Less than half would have been needed to house the animals on the ark, leaving plenty of room for fresh food and water to be stored. Now, here's an interesting point that I did not know until I researched this. Many creation experts surmise that God led only the young animals onto the ark so that size would not be a problem. Think about that. He led only the young animals, the small animals onto the ark so that size would not be much of an issue. The smaller, younger animals would require much less space, much less food and water, and they would still have their entire breeding life ahead of them in order to repopulate. This makes housing all of those animals even more plausible. Now, just on a little bit of a lighthearted side here, one of the questions that I was given was, were there skunks on the ark? <laughs> I told you this was going to be a different kind of message today. Um, well, for the person who submitted that question, I can tell you that the Bible does not tell us specifically that there were skunks on the ark. But based on Scripture, I'm sure there were or at least a pair of animals of the same kind as skunks. We immediately think of skunks with their odor, right? But that is just their natural defense mechanism, no different than a snake's venom or another animal's defense mechanism. But I will say this, that if there were skunks on the ark, I pretty much guarantee that Noah gave them a private room somewhere on the ark. <laughs> All, right. All right. 
Another question that I was posed. So that gives you some ideas, maybe some things you never thought about. I know these, these are child stories, but folks, it's truth. It's gospel. It's the word of God. And sometimes you, it's good to think through these tough questions. Here's another tough question. Migration. There's a scripture verse that we'll read here in just a second. I'll go back to that in a second. Uh, now that we have an idea of how maybe some of the animals got on the ark, the next question that a lot of doubters often bring up, often raise, is this. If they got off the ark, when the animals disembarked, how did they get from one continent to another? How did they go? Did they swim across the oceans? How does all that take place? How did kangaroos get to Australia? Or how did the polar bears get to North America and then the penguins went to Antarctica? Skeptics often say that the Bible should not be used because it's not a science textbook. And to that I would say true and amen because science textbooks change every year. But God's word never changes. So let's use the source that never changes to help guide us as we navigate through some of these issues. The verse that I just put up there for you, uh, after the flood... Genesis 8:15 tells us this. Then God spoke to Noah saying, "Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth." So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Here we see God put in a plan after the floods and the waters receded. He put in a plan to repopulate the earth that applied to both humans and animals. And they were to, quote, abound on the earth. Little by little, man and animal began to increase and just begin to cover the different places on the earth. Genesis 8.4 tells us that the ark, whenever it settled, it settled in the mountainous mountainous regions of Mount Ariat. And if you have heard that, Mount Ariat, or today that would be modern Turkey. There have been been many excavations, many explorations and archaeological digs in that region. Uh, Some people believe they're finding evidence of where this 450-foot boat settled, uh, fascinating reads, uh, get a lot of rumors, a lot of false reports as well, but um, it landed, it settled in somewhere in modern-day Turkey. That's not me, the Bible says that. So the people and the animals would have spread out from there. Migrations could have easily happened, uh, uh, could have easily gone into Europe and Asia and Africa since they were already connected from that Turkey area. But there are also a couple of very plausible theories as to how they went from continent to continent. And I'm just going to tell you some of the things that I've researched that I think very well could be. The first thing are what we just call floating logs. Um, the flood, listen, the flood was not just some large out-of-control river. It was a cataclysmic event that destroyed everything on the face of the planet. Everything. 
Anything living, plant or animal, was destroyed. Every tree and every forest was immediately mowed down. Thus, large groups of trees and logs would have been floating around like large barges all over the world. These wooden platforms probably would have stayed in existence in the oceans for decades, easily transporting any animal that jumped on board. That's one plausible theory. Another one is the Ice Age. Many meteorological experts, uh, they believe that the conditions of a world after a worldwide flood would have been just perfect for an Ice Age to take place over the following years. It may not have been immediate, but over the following years, uh, they believe that uh, uh, an Ice Age covered a lot of the earth that would have made it possible for the various animals to go from continent to continent. A globe engulfed in an ice age would also have produced land bridges. I know we're getting a little bit technical here, but that's the question I'm attacking here. Uh, Would have produced land bridges. Land bridges are those sections of land connecting two large land masses and continents, thus creating paths accessible to the different continents. Bridges have also been used, now hear this, they've also been used as an explanation by evolutionists as to how man and animal went from continent to continent. Okay? An ice age may not have occurred immediately, such as the flood, but over time weather conditions could have evolved. Many of you have heard about the Bering Strait. Um, uh, the Bering Strait is that right there. That is uh, the section of water between Alaska, uh, Alaska is on your right, and uh, the northeastern tip of Russia would be on your left. The Bering Strait, it's, it's a mass uh, between those two continents. And at its narrowest point, it's just 55 miles across. Um, I believe that the governor of Alaska, Sarah Palin, said that on a clear day in certain areas, you can actually look across Alaska and see Russia. So keep in mind the various land masses, the land bridges that existed at the time of the ark settling some 4,500 years ago were not what they were today. But make no mistake about it, there are ways that they could have gone from continent to continent. Next question that I was asked, this might be a little bit more interesting to the kids here. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Where do they fit into this picture? Did dinosaurs even exist? And if so, were they on the ark? This is kind of exciting to me. Um, First off, archaeological digs, fossil remains, they reveal that dinosaurs do exist. We know that by now. We've heard that for many years. But we need go no further than the Bible to look at evidence of dinosaurs. Did you know that the Bible talks of dinosaurs? Some of you do. For those of you who don't, we're going to find out. One of the very first ones that we see is that thing. Have you heard it called the behemoth? Now, we use that as a phrase today, as something that's extremely large. But go to, go to the book of Job. Take your Bibles. I want you to write this down. You, know, uh, the, the, you never know when this topic may come up around the water cooler tomorrow. Um, I want to give you some things to discuss with this. Job chapter 40. 
God, uh, this is at the end of Job's long trial. This is where God is restoring Job. And God is likening Job to this creature right here. Job chapter 40. And I'm going to wait till I hear leaves stop rustling to make sure that we're ready to read. Okay? Job 40. Starting with verse 15. This will not be on the screen, but... And look here with me. God is saying, Look now at the behemoth which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See now, his strength is in his hips, and his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. His bones are like beams of bronze, and his ribs like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Only he who made him can bring near his sword. We will stop there. Verses describing the strength of Job seen in this huge animal. This description sounds very much like the description of a a dinosaur. You don't believe me? You're still not sure? Go to Job 41 and it talks about this nasty looking creature right here. I don't know if you can really see that. That is a depiction of the Leviathan or Leviathan. It appears to be some form of an aquatic beast with dragon-like features. I'd forgotten about this, and when I researched this, I started to jump a little bit because to me this is exciting. Job 41, this is, uh, I'm going to read a number of verses, but I just want you to read this with me. Job 41, the first verse says this, Can you draw out... Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower. Now skip to verse 12 and we will read through the rest of the chapter. Listen to how they describe this creature. I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty power or his graceful proportions. Who can remove his outer coat? Who can approach him with a double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? With his terrible teeth all around, his rows of scales are his pride, shut up tightly as with a seal. One is so near another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together and cannot be parted. Listen to this. His sneezings flash forth light. And his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. And listen to this. Out of his mouth go burning light. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke goes out of his nostrils as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals and a flame goes out of his mouth. Strength dwells in his neck and sorrow dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together. They are firm on him and cannot be moved. His heart is as hard as stone. Even as hard as the lower millstone, when he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. Because of his crashings, they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail, nor does spear, dart, or javelin. He regards iron as straw and bronze as rock wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are like stubble to him. Darts are regarded as straw. He laughs at the threat of javelins. His undersides are like sharp, sharp potsherds. He spreads pointed marks 
He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. He leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think the deep had white hair. On earth there is nothing like him, which is made without fear. He, behold, he beholds every high thing of pride. Children of pride. Did you know that was in there? Quite amazing. Quite amazing. I want to describe one more that most all of you are familiar with. You go to Disney World and they'll have this at Disney World. This is one of the most popular dinosaurs that have existed. And there's a reason why I'm describing this. Just hang in there. The T-Rex. Tyrannosaurus Rex. See, I knew you kids that you'd probably like to hear some of this stuff. This is the dinosaur that we know existed. Okay? It has gotten a lot of attention down through the years. Um, but the Tyrannosaurus Rex is approximately 40 feet long. Not incredibly huge, but it was a big creature. About 40 feet long, 20 feet high, and an estimated 16,000 pounds, teeth about 6 to 8 inches long. However, scientists do not believe that it was able to move as fast as what you see in the movies. They believe that this structure, this bone structure, it could only move about as fast as an elephant. Okay, so there's some scientific facts for you. Now, this is the part that's very interesting why I'm talking about this. We know that the predominant theme on TV and with evolutionists today is that the earth is millions and millions of years old. We in Christianity believe that is not true. The Bible tells us that the world and life is just a few thousands of years old. And even this animal right here, T-Rex, gives evidence to that. What do I mean by that? There was a T-Rex that was discovered, and there it is for you on the screen. There was a T-Rex discovered in Montana in 1990. When they were digging this and excavating this, it was discovered, now listen to me, it was discovered that some of the bones still contain red blood cells. Um, That right there makes it impossible for that animal to have been millions and millions of years old. Again, fitting right into the book that you have right in your hands. It's impossible for that creature to have been millions of years old, just mere thousands of years old. So the question is, what happened to the dinosaurs? Quick answer is most of them probably perished The ones that were on the ark eventually became extinct due in part to the new living conditions of the world. Uh, The experts believe that at the time of the flood, there was a canopy above, there was a canopy below, and the environment was different than what it was whenever the flood was over. And some of the animals were not able to survive. No extinction is a well-known fact in the animal world today. Some fell prey to the faster, more agile animals such as the lions, the tigers, and the hyenas. Now, I do believe, though, that, and I was talking to Richard and Brother before the, uh, the um, service, we still have dinosaurs today. An alligator or a crocodile fits just in line with the description of a dinosaur. Also, they were saying the Komodo dragon is one that meets that description. Here's the next question, and before we get ready to close up shop here. 
Were the dinosaurs on the ark? Were there dinosaurs on ark? We have every reason to believe that the, that the dinosaurs were indeed on the ark. Now, probably your mind's thinking, but how can we fit all of them? And they were huge and all that. However, we also know that animals come and go all the time. Extinction among various animal species has been part of the circle of life. So it's very possible that many animals, including some dinosaurs, were extinct even before the flood. Thus, not every dinosaur would have made it on the ark. However, some did make it. We just read Job chapter 40 and talked about the behemoth. We know that Job was written after the flood. So we know right then and there that, yes, some form of dinosaurs would have made it on the ark. Here's some interesting information for you. When we hear the word dinosaur, our immediate thought goes to an animal like that or the behemoth. Those huge, massive predators. However, fossil digs have shown that most dinosaurs were not very big at all. Sorry if that bursts some of your bubbles, but uh, they've been known to not be very big at all. Some were just the size of chickens. Even evolutionists are admitting this fact. Most scientists agree that the average size of a dinosaur was actually uh, somewhere about the size of a sheep or a bison. So having enough room on the ark, even for young dinosaurs, just became even more feasible. One more interesting tidbit. Some might say that, well, aren't there hundreds and thousands of different kinds of dinosaurs and how could they have all fit on the ark? Well, today there's hundreds of different kinds of dogs, but they're all named different kinds, but they're just a dog, just one dog. And there, uh, what the experts are reporting is that there are probably only about 50 different kinds of dinosaurs. Not that many. So, for the person who submitted this question, um, this was a tough assignment, but uh, there, are some, there are some scriptural lessons that I want us to look at before we close this morning. What can we learn from all of this? I want you to go back to Genesis 6 for a second, and then we will wrap this up. Genesis 6. And as you're turning there, What can we learn from this, all of this? Number one, we can know for sure that God's word is true, church. God's word is true. We can even find evidence of a 450-foot boat in the Bible. We can even, even if we don't have exact answers to our exact questions, There's enough truth in God's word that we can trust the heart of the author. When God speaks, this is some of the things that I picked up from this. When God speaks, we had better listen and we had better obey. Genesis 6, 5 through 8. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, 
creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Once we look past all of the interesting information I just kind of gave you, listen to a couple of points here. Because the human heart was wicked, God had to pronounce judgment on the earth, and his judgment included both man and animals. And we see this in Romans 3.23 where it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Listen, Noah was a righteous and a godly man before he built the ark. Don't miss that. He was a righteous and a godly man before he built the ark. There is still some debate as to how long it took Noah to build the ark. Some say anywhere from 55 to 120 years. Any, any way you look at it, that is a long time. But either way, Noah exercised. During that time, just think about what his life was like. Those 55 to 120 years, he exercised great faith and patience long before the answer came, long before the rains came. Can you think about the ridicule that he suffered through those years? He was probably the laughing stock of the community. Look at this guy. He's building a boat. He's building an ark. They thought he was probably insane. Every morning that Noah got up for 55 plus years, every morning that he got up, he had to make a choice. He had to make a choice in the face of opposition. But Noah was a great man and he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He was a man of faith. Choosing every day to pick up that hammer or that saw and obey his God. Listen, folks. Sometimes we're in a long ordeal. And every day we have to get up and we have to make choices whether or not we're going to follow this God whether or not we're going to take up our hammer, we're going to take up our saw, we're going to take up those things, even when we don't feel like it, even when we feel like we're being ridiculed, even when it feels like the world is coming against us. If he can do it for 55 to 120 years, you can do it as well. He was a leader, and great leaders are faithful, and they act even in the face of fierce opposition because they believe what God is telling them to do. Because Noah was a righteous man, he found grace and favor in the eyes of the Lord. You don't have to look at it, but Genesis 6 verse 18 tells us that God established a covenant with Noah. And Noah found salvation in God and was spared God's judgment. Listen, in closing, church, God has offered to you and me another covenant. He has offered to you and me the new covenant one that offers salvation to all of mankind, one that would be written on the hearts, a covenant where Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We know that wickedness is found in every heart, and that wickedness will lead to death. But praise the Lord, like, like Noah, you and I can find favor. We can find grace in the eyes of the Lord if we will but come 
to him. How do you end a message like this? I don't know. Um, I think we're just going to sing a hymn uh, of how great our God is. Uh, so uh, Mandy and I believe Luis, uh, you're going to, and the singers, you can kind of help us uh, close this out. And... Um, Hopefully this bolsters your faith. Hopefully this helps you know, man, even all stories in the Bible are and it bolsters our faith. Would you bow your heads? God, we thank you. Uh, again, a different topic. But Lord, I thank you that even in a topic like this, we can see your hand. Lord, from how you lead and guide even the animals on this earth, and Lord, you just give them those natural instincts inside. Lord, we know that it was no problem for you to lead thousands of animals to a sailing vessel. God, we believe that uh, um, there were ways that you created in order for this earth to be populated. Father, it's, it just bolsters our faith to know ultimately. But God, we look at Noah and we look at his life, and God the man of faith, the man of courage that he needed to be as he faced years of ridicule, years of opposition, years of people laughing at him, years of doubt and discouragement. God, we see Noah being faithful. He was faithful to you. You were faithful to him. And we the lesson to take out of this. You, in your, uh, your son returns find faith. God, men and women like Noah, people who are faithful, who will get up every morning no matter what we're going through, and we choose to say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Lord, you are an awesome God. You are a great God, and we thank you that we can look at a lesson like this and we can rejoice knowing that there is no God like our God. We love you. We praise you. Now, Lord, we continue to praise you in song in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand please as we sing?